We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 this morning. You can turn there, Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing on in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I hope, again, uh, you've been blessed and encouraged already in our time in God's Word in Matthew chapter 5. And uh, we have a number of weeks left in this series. And I know uh, that there are a lot of uh, challenges as we're proclaiming and preaching that when we hear them, we're like, man, that's a lot to take in. That's a lot to digest. And so we're doing our best to uh, kind of go verse by verse and explaining and helping us to understand uh, this great sermon that Jesus preached and one that really is uh, life transforming. And I hope it's been an encouragement to you. Matthew chapter 5, I want to dive right in this morning as we look at this great text. Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 27. Jesus is speaking. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Maybe you didn't know when you came in this morning that this was the content of the passage, and maybe some of you are a little bit uneasy right now as you read this text of Scripture and as we go to examine it this morning. As we look at the passage this morning, I just want to point out three truths that I think are valuable, necessary, and important for us to understand as we seek to live and walk in a way that is worthy of the calling by which we've been called. The first point I want to make this morning in the text is that our standard of holiness is not found in the opinions or standards of sinful men. Our standard of holiness is not found in the opinions or standards of sinful men. And I think this is a valuable and very important point because we get this all mixed up in the society in which we live today, don't we? Even believers in Christ can get so mixed up when it comes to the standard of holiness by which we are to abide by, when it comes to God's standard, when it comes to uh, the instruction that God gives, we can be so guilty so often of messing this up by believing our standard should follow the standards and opinions of sinful men rather than the eternal truth of God's word. This is so prevalent in our society today. Church, churches that are embracing, openly embracing that which the Bible calls sin. We recently had a membership meeting. This was just a number of months ago, and I was meeting with a couple that had been at their church for years and years and years. They had been at their church longer than I have been alive. And I asked them, why are you here? And what is the reason after so many years you're here? And they expressed that after so many years, their church was openly accepting that which God calls sin. They were making a point to say, we are now going to accept this as 
acceptable in the sight of God, and it was that which the Word of God clearly defines as sin, and yet that church was openly accepting of something God clearly defines as sin in His Word. There are churches that are openly embracing sin. They're changing their beliefs to match cultural belief. Believers who are refusing to speak and stand on the truth of God's word because it's just not convenient today. And because our society and culture and nation in which we find ourselves living is moving the standard away from the holiness of God and into the opinions of sinful men. And listen, as a child of God, we have to understand this. Your standard, my standard of holiness, our standard of holiness is not to be found in the opinions or standards of sinful men. And this is what Jesus has been getting to in this passage and what he's reiterating yet once again in the passage before us today. Jesus is going to say, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. Jesus is really calling out the belief that was prevalent in the society and day and age in which he lived that was so far removed from God. And yet how relevant and applicable for us today as well, because that's the society we find ourselves living in today also. And so Jesus is going to make this point clear. Now Jesus is going to give two different examples of this with adultery and divorce. And we're going to get there in a minute. But I, I do feel it's important for us to just kind of recap how we got here. Okay, uh, We start in, in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5 as the Sermon on the Mount begins. In verses 2 to 12, Jesus shares what's known as the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He'll go on and on with, with the Beatitudes that are listed there. He's calling his followers. He's calling those that would follow him and, and would identify him with, to, to a standard with which they would never even have heard. Jesus is calling them to a standard of holiness. He's calling them to be separate. He's calling them to separate from the world. He's calling them to do that which in the eyes of the world is completely foolish. That which in the eyes of the world you would never do. He shares that in verses 12, 2 to 12. And then in verses 13 to 16, he calls on the believer in Christ to be salt and light. To be salt and light. Again, do you recognize this morning as a child of God that you and I are to be salt and light in the world in which we live? We are to be faithfully pointing others to Christ. We are to be faithfully representing Jesus. If you're a believer in Christ and you work in an environment where there are those that do not know Christ around you, they should know something is different about you as a follower of Jesus. Jesus calls us to be salt and to be light. Again, a challenge to the crowds that were listening, to the disciples that were close to him here, to all that were listening. This challenge to be separate, to be salt and to light. Christ is teaching in verses 17 to 20, that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law in verses 17 to 20. And then in verse 20, Jesus makes a statement that really sets up, I believe, what follows in these next several sections in the Sermon on the Mount. In verse 20 of chapter 5, Jesus says something completely radical to the crowds. He tells them, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Who can do that? 
I want us to understand that to those that were listening, to those that were watching, to those that were hearing the words of Jesus, that were following closely to Jesus, to the disciples, his disciples that were so close to him, to the crowd that was on the outskirts listening, that would be astonished at his teaching, that would go away astonished at his teaching, to the scribes and Pharisees who kind of followed him all over, hoping to find something that they could accuse him for. This would have been a radical statement because the most righteous, the most holy, the most dedicated people that they knew that were most dedicated to the law and that were most dedicated to quote-unquote holiness, that were most dedicated to honoring God and, and to knowing the law and to exercising in, in their walk obedience to the law, that, that was the Pharisees, the scribes. Jesus is telling the, the crowd, listen, unless your righteousness goes beyond, exceeds the righteousness of those that you think are the most righteous, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you know how discouraging that would have been to hear? The thought, no doubt, would have been in the minds of those that were listening. Who, who then can do that? Who then can enter the kingdom of heaven? And I don't think we could just, just quickly breeze past that because Jesus is, is using that as an opportunity for what's about to come to expose truly the heart of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, to expose the heart of those that were so concerned simply with the exterior that what was within was being hidden from view. But Jesus tells them, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You have to be better than them, more righteous than them, more holy than them. And again, I think this is sometimes difficult for us to understand. Uh, this past summer, my youngest daughter, Leah, was playing soccer. And she's five years old. And so uh, she signed up for soccer. It's the first time she was going to be doing that. She was very excited. She got all the gear. Um, she had, like, the pink uh, uh, shin guards and uh, the pink socks that go over top of that and made sure she was the only one that I remember out on the field that had the big pink bow in her hair when she was going to play soccer. Uh, she doesn't really have that, like, you know, go for it type of competitive attitude. I think she was more excited about seeing, like, other kids out there. And I think all the kids were more excited about the snack at the end instead of the game itself. But when Leah wanted to play soccer and she came up to me and she was like, man, I'd like to, I'd like to try soccer. And, and she was excited to sign up for that. Uh, I, I didn't take her outside and say, okay, honey, listen, if you want to play soccer, if you want to actually do that, here's what we're going to do. Daddy's going to put a ball on the ground and I'm going to let you kick it. And then daddy's going to kick a ball. And unless you can kick the ball farther than daddy, you can't play. Wouldn't that be cruel? Wouldn't that be cruel? Honey, unless you can... Throw that ball farther than daddy can throw that ball, you're, you're not going to play. She would look at me and think, Dad, there's, there's no way I can do that. Because in her mind, I, I can kick that ball farther than anybody else. I mean, in my kids' minds, I, I'm tall in their minds. <laughs> right? I mean, I've shared that before. One of my daughters, she's like, Dad, one day I'm going to be tall like you. I'm like, well, honey, you can aspire for greatness, right? But... <laughs> That doesn't always happen. Well, here's why I'm sharing this, because in the minds of my children, they look at me and they look at what I can do, and they think, especially when they're very young, not so much maybe anymore, when I'm, they're very young, they think that, that I can do it the best. Can you imagine me telling them, well, yeah, you can play softball if, if you can throw the softball farther than me when they're five years old. 
Honey, you can play soccer if you can kick the soccer ball farther than me when you're five years old. It's not going to happen. And I share that because in many ways, that's, I think, what the crowd would be thinking when Jesus makes this statement. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, they were the example to follow. And so if they thought the bar was here to enter the kingdom of heaven, the Pharisees, what Jesus has just done in their minds is said, no, it's not here. It's here. And they thought, who, who then can enter the kingdom of heaven? You see, that would be a huge problem if the only measure of holiness was the measure of man's standards. Because the Pharisees, by man's standards, had everything together. Everything together. But as we saw last week in verses 21 to 26, Pastor Eric had shared this and, and, and shared about anger and about those that would be liable unto judgment and about the necessity of, of reconciliation between brothers and if there's issues that we need to be reconciled to one another. Uh, as Jesus began last week in verses 21 to 26, he begins a series of corrections or maybe better said clarifications about the true heart of the matter regarding the law and the keeping of the law. Jesus is going to begin to reveal the true meaning and understanding they need to have about holiness and what it means to be truly righteous. You see, the Pharisees, those that were their standard, were so concerned with the exterior, but Jesus was wanting them to understand that God sees not only the exterior actions, but he sees the heart, the mind, the intent, and their motives. There's such a concern for the exterior and no concern for what's within. That's why Jesus would even say about the Pharisees, you are whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but what is within? And, and, and listen, isn't that true of our society today as well? It's true of our society today as well. Everyone wants on the outside to look like everything is put together. But what's truly going on within? In social media, everybody has a profile picture. No one puts a profile picture when they look the absolute worst. It's when they look the best. Everything's staged just right because of what we want people to see. True righteousness, true holiness is not found in simply having exterior allegiance to the law. Actions weren't the end-all, be-all. Jesus wants to get to the heart. In doing so, he's indicting everyone, including the Pharisees and scribes, because they're not good enough. And if they aren't good enough, no one is good enough. So here again in this point, uh, this point I, I want to begin with that we saw from last week, and, and I think we see it again in this passage before us, that our standard of holiness is not found in the opinions or standards of sinful men. So Jesus is going to give two examples. So look at the text with me. Two examples Jesus is going to give. First, look again at verses 27 and 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus uh, shares something that, this was a command, right? Do not commit adultery. Thou shalt not commit adultery. This was a command that God had given, that God had instructed them, one that they were to keep, one that in the Old Testament period was was worthy of death if it was broken. They could be put to death because of breaking this command. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. And when he would say that, pretty much everybody that was there, that was a Pharisee at least, uh, who were pretty good about making sure what was seen on the outside looked good, could have thought they were pretty righteous. They could have thought, well, I'm, I'm doing really well. And maybe many people in that crowd would think, hey, I'm doing really well. The same is true if you're here today. And I'm like, hey, listen, um, I'm not going to ask you to show of hands, but if you've never committed adultery, put your hand up. 
probably a good portion of people in this room would be able to put their hand up and say, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. But look what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you. Again, that's what you have heard has been said, and it was commanded by God. But their interpretation of that, the exercising of what that means, was strictly limited to the physical act, the exterior physical act. But Jesus says to them, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Look at that. He says, you've heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who even looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Here's what you've always thought and what you've always acted on and what you've always believed and what you've been measuring your obedience by and your righteousness by, this exterior keeping of the law. But let me just, let me just break this down for you. True righteousness, true holiness, true obedience, the true heart of God is not simply on the exterior actions, but it goes to the heart and to the mind. And how many of you are guilty of this? Jesus is, is telling them this, and I can't imagine what everybody's thinking, but Boy, would I have loved to have been on the outside looking in on that. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. There were probably people in the crowd, amen. That's right. But I say to you, even if you have looked at a woman with lustful intent, you're guilty. You're guilty. This is an impossibility. How could anyone fully, perfectly, not only be in control of their exterior actions, but, but even their thoughts in their mind, in their heart, without any breaking of this commandment. Verses 31 and 32, he would say, whoever divorces his wife, it's been said, let her give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus then brings it to the level of divorce. And he says, listen, you've heard it said that if you're going to divorce your wife, you should give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, my standard is greater. You're carrying out of the law and your measure of righteousness on strictly the exterior is not what is the heart and mind of God. Their standard of obedience was limited to the physical act. And yet Jesus was saying God's standard of holiness is not simply on the exterior, but within. Now let's break these down, these two different points that Jesus makes here. First, verses 27 and 28. The word that's lust and the way the ESV translate this, I think it's a great translation when he says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, the word that's, that's used here. In the Greek, the form that it's used here brings with it a purpose. It's with the purpose of lusting. With the purpose of lusting. In other words, this isn't an involuntary glance. It's not a, oh man, I didn't realize that this was going on. It's a purposeful one. The heart is filled with adultery. The heart is filled with these longings and desires. And Jesus is speaking here and says, whoever is looking with lustful intent, with the desire to fulfill what's within in a way that is sinful before God, you're guilty. You're guilty. One commentator said about this, it's when you're looking for the woman to lust after, when you go to the film because you know when you get there you'll see what your desire of your heart is, that you'll meet your lust. 
It's when you go around the dial on the television to find the thing that panders to your lust. It's when you seek the object. It's the purpose. There's a premeditation here. There's a desire that is starting within, and then it goes to the mind, and the mind and the eyes want to take it in with the desire of fulfillment. And Jesus is telling them something that is absolutely, in their minds, would have been crazy. He's telling them, listen, you cannot be just content with making sure that your actions honor our holy God, but you have to be concerned even about what goes on in here and in here, because God's standard of holiness is that great. And who can meet this challenge? Who can meet that standard? Here's the point of the law, and we're told about this, that the point of the law is to show us no one can meet that righteous demand. No one can be that holy. We can't do it. You can't survive with that kind of standard. Not just what is seen, but what is unseen. This is what Jesus is explaining to them. You haven't committed the physical act of adultery, fine, but let me break it down to the heart of the matter. What have your thoughts been telling you? What has the inclination of your heart been telling you? What are your eyes looking at and beholding and why to fulfill that desire? You're accountable for that. Begins to put into perspective, doesn't it, Jesus' statement, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Listen, you do not have to physically commit the sexual action of adultery to be guilty of adultery, according to Jesus. That's a huge problem. That's a huge problem. And that's what Jesus says here. It's hard for us to to process that. It's hard for us to to truly come to grips with that. I thought about asking for a show of hands, but I'm not. But how many of you, just in your mind, have ever been on a diet before? I could tell by some of the response laughs, like some of you have, some of you are. For some of us, it's like just like, yeah, I'm on another diet. Like, it's all the time. But have you ever been on a diet and you're watching what you're eating and you're walking through the grocery store and Giant Eagle in Hartville is the worst because when you first go in the grocery store, you got to pass by the bakery to get to the other food. To get to the fruit and vegetables, you have to walk by the bakery. Isn't that crazy? It's a conspiracy. Like every time you walk by in the grocery store, right, there's fruit, there, before you get to the fruit and vegetables, you have to walk by the bakery. But when you walk by the bakery and they've just cooked, like they've just baked uh, donuts, bread, cookies, and you're walking by there and you're like, man, I can't have any of that, but boy, do I like the look. And, and have you ever walked by and just been like, man, that looks so good. Like, I just want to eat that donut. Like, have you ever, have you ever looked at something and you're like, I know I shouldn't have that, but I'm just going to take a, I'm just going to kind of let it. Like, I, I saw some, there's, there's funny, funny stuff, some funny stuff on the internet. And, uh, but there's this one person who has an account, like, what they do, because they don't eat the food. They smell it, and they put it right underneath their nose, and they're just smelling it. So, like, it's almost as though they're eating it, but they're actually not eating it. They look at it, they smell it, they want to hold it, there it is, because they can't eat it. They, they don't want to have those calories, but they're not getting those calories if you're smelling it and looking at it and holding it, right? But can you imagine if every sweet pastry, bread, item that you looked at and thought, man, I'd love to have that and desired that, uh, put weight on you? Can you imagine that if everything that you looked at desired wanted to satisfy that craving, that everything, you didn't even eat it, you just, just looked. That pounds just started getting added. We, we would be some really big people, I think, all of us. 
But do you understand what Jesus is saying here? He's saying you don't have to actually physically commit that act. But with the intent of fulfilling that desire, you are looking at a woman. You're guilty of adultery. You will be held accountable for that. Who then can enter the kingdom of heaven? That's a serious problem. Sin that is witnessed on the outside begins on the inside. What no one else sees or knows, God does. Who else can know the mind, the heart, the motives? James chapter 1, 13 to 16, James says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is Lord and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. The standards the Pharisees and scribes held to and set the standards that they communicated and endorsed were not the authority on the matter. Jesus is speaking with great authority on the matter. Those who simply thought they were okay with the Pharisee standards were mistaken. The Pharisees were mistaken. Completely exterior in nature, and that's why Jesus would tell them about their righteousness and needing to be greater than that. This was Paul's teaching in Galatians chapter 3. He says, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. By the works of the law, no one will be justified. If you break one, you're guilty of all. Jesus is pointing to this standard of holiness, which was always present, by the way, but now clarified. God is not just concerned with the exterior actions, but with the heart, the mind, the motives, the intent. That's what Jesus says in verses 27 and 28. That's why Job would say in the Old Testament, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a woman with lust. That's why the psalmist David would say and pray and ask God to search me, O God, know my heart and try my thoughts. Because they recognized what happens within. Now, Jesus is going to give another example of this in verses 31 and 32. And here Jesus is going to speak about divorce. Now, let me just say something quickly here. Um, this could be a standalone series by itself, verses 31 and 32, when we talk about divorce. Um, Jesus is using this in conjunction with what he just said about adultery. You've heard it said, but I say to you. Now he's saying here, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus is referencing Deuteronomy 24 here where Moses speaks about a situation in which a man would give his wife a certificate of divorce and follows with instruction about it. During the time in which Jesus was teaching, it seems to be widely agreed upon that divorce was prevalent for many reasons. Men were taking liberty for many reasons in divorcing their wives. And the Pharisees' teaching was that this was permissible simply because Moses spoke of this certificate of divorce. Notice what the Pharisees would even characterize Moses' languages. Later on in, in Matthew chapter 19, they would say, Moses commanded us to give a certificate of divorce. And, and here's what's interesting about this is they mischaracterized Moses' instruction regarding divorce as a command to divorce. And what followed with that was a lot of liberty. 
They would come to Jesus in Matthew 19, testing him, the passage says, asking if it was permissible or lawful to divorce one's wife for any reason. They were baiting Jesus. They knew Jesus' standard that he had already shared, and Jesus would reiterate again and again. We see it throughout the gospel accounts that God hates divorce and that there was a standard that God had for marriage, and yet their heart was on display. Their standard and their instruction was on display. But Jesus is going to reveal again that they are in the wrong. He's going to indict them here as those who are not only guilty of committing adultery within their minds, their hearts, but also as those who are proliferating adultery by encouraging divorce. This was prevalent during that age. It was prevalent where men would divorce their wives for really any reason that they could come up with. Through a misinterpretation of what Moses said in Deuteronomy 24, they were paving the way for really the opportunity for divorce for any number of reasons. And and that's what John the Baptist would speak out against and why John the Baptist would ultimately be beheaded because of his speaking about the unlawful divorce that was taking place. And, and, And John was beheaded for that. But Jesus is going to get again to the heart of the matter here of of the strict adherence to what seems to be the right exterior actions and ignoring the true motivation of the heart. Jesus is going to expose them and he's going to really make a point that it doesn't matter what you think or teach or hold as your standard. What matters is what God has said. And Jesus is clearly teaching here in this passage the only acceptable reason for divorce in this passage that Jesus shares and clarifies is in the case of adultery. In the case of of sexual infidelity that's present here. And again, understand something about divorce. And again, we don't have time to develop this fully. But understand there's a difference between it being an acceptable reason and being a command. There's no command given in the word of God to a married couple to be divorced. Jesus says in this passage... I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus is saying, listen, in your pursuing of divorce, except for the reason of sexual immorality, you are continuing and paving the way for adultery to take place. And it's unacceptable before God. The Pharisees in Matthew chapter 19, when they would say, is it permissible, is it commanded to be able to divorce for any reason? Jesus would answer them and say, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Jesus brings them back to the beginning, to the beginning point of marriage, to the standard and command of God. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they will be one flesh. What God has joined together, let not man separate. He's stripping away all of the exterior and getting really to the heart of the matter. And listen, God hates divorce. We have to understand that God's intention from the beginning was that divorce should never take place between a husband and a wife. And there is way too much divorce in our world today, in our culture today, and in the church today. Too many have latched on to the standards of men in the world and the culture we live in and are ignoring the clear commands of the word of God when it comes to the issue of divorce. God hates it. God has never commanded for divorce to take place between a man and a woman who are married. I think this is important. 
And we can't spend a great deal of time on this, but let me just make this point, and I think everyone in here, we need to hear this. If you are married and you are constantly seeking after reasons for divorce, trying to manipulate a justification for divorce, trying to set up your spouse to justify divorce, you are not following the leading and prompting of the Spirit of God. You are not following the standard that God has set. That is not the heart of God or the desire of God or the intention of God for yours or any marriage. If you're in an unhappy marriage... And because of that, you are seeking divorce. You do not have grounds because of an unhappiness in marriage to divorce your spouse. That's what Jesus says here. And there's so many today, even in the church, who are completely disregarding the picture that marriage is to be of Christ and the church. Husbands who are completely ignoring the command to love your wives as Christ loved the church. There is way too much acceptance of divorce for any reason. And that's not the standard of God. And Jesus is saying this here, that if you are divorcing your spouse but for the reason of adultery, you are going to continue the process of adultery and even cause your spouse that you're divorcing to commit adultery. That's the standard of God. That's the standard that Jesus is showing and stating. And it's a standard that in their day was being ignored. And it's a standard that today is being ignored as well. And we have to be serious about that. However, Jesus clearly shows here that in the case of adultery within the marriage, divorce is allowable. Understand this, not commanded, but allowable because of adultery. Paul would teach in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that if an unbelieving spouse desires to leave a marriage, the believing spouse is no longer bound to that individual and is free to remarry. Again, allowable, but not commanded. Those seem to be the only two reasons that the word of God speaks as to the reason for a divorce. Adultery and abandonment by an unbelieving spouse that wants out of a marriage that they are permitted to go and you are no longer bound to them. These are very rare and specific instances where divorce seems to be allowable. A far cry from the standard of the teaching of the religious leaders in Jesus' day and a far cry from the standard that our society, our culture, and many times in the church, the standard that is set for divorce. We need to remember, church, that our standard of holiness is not found in the opinions or standards of sinful men, but in the holy, eternal, righteous standards of our holy, righteous eternal God. We can't mess that up. It's his standards and not our own. Secondly, God takes sin seriously. Look at verses 29 and 30. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Folks, listen, if you read that, You cannot come away from hearing that if Jesus is teaching that without thinking, goodness gracious, God takes sin seriously. God takes sin seriously. People need to know this. We all need to know and understand this. Sin is a serious matter. 
Today we can be so concerned with offending people that we don't want to call out sin as sin. We don't want to define what it is. In many cases, we don't want to teach about sin to family members, neighbors, friends, co-workers. We don't want to speak about it. We don't want to address it. Even when we're flat out asked, we want to ignore it because we don't want to offend. We want to be loving. We want to be kind. Listen, folks, the wrath of God is coming upon sinful man. And the most unloving thing we can do is not tell them about the sin that has enslaved them and the freedom that is found through Jesus Christ. One pastor and commentator says the following about sin. He says, you cannot preach Christ, you cannot present the gospel unless you deal with sin, unless you give a definition of sin, because that is the barrier, that is the issue. If we do not properly understand sin, we will not understand anything else that God does. And as long as people think of sin superficially, as long as they think of sin minimally, as long as they make light of sin, then salvation is a minor thing too. We must take sin seriously. God takes sin seriously. And we need to understand this. Sin is not something we should embrace. It's not something we should just get used to. It's not something we should make light of. It's not something that we should keep around in case we want it or need it. God hates sin. God takes sin seriously, and so should we. Now, let me just clarify in the passage when Jesus says this. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Clearly, Jesus is using hyperbole here. Otherwise, everyone would be blind. No one would have any hands, feet, arms, legs. Because we're all guilty. Clearly Jesus is using hyperbole here because you cannot address something that is on the inside by trying to address it just with the outside. But Jesus is showing and he is relaying and he is magnifying the seriousness of sin that God takes it seriously. And as a believer in Christ, we should be willing to do whatever is necessary to remove sin from our lives, the temptation to sin from our lives. We should be doing whatever is within our power to make sure that we are honoring Christ. Because God takes sin so seriously, so should we. Clearly in the passage, Jesus is making this point. And number three, sin must be dealt with. Look at the latter part of verse 29 and the latter part of verse 30. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. It's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Sin must be dealt with. Jesus is establishing what sin really is here, what true righteousness is, and the crowd doesn't have it. The Pharisees don't have it. They're all guilty. They're all sinners. No one is exempt. So they have a huge problem. And isn't that what Jesus is wanting them to see all along? They have a huge problem, sin. And God takes sin seriously, and sin must be dealt with because there is eternal punishment that is coming because of the sinfulness of man and the rebellion of man. What Jesus is doing here is Jesus is magnifying the necessity of a savior. Jesus is magnifying the necessity as a, a remedy for the sin problem, and the remedy happens to be him. Sin is that which God takes seriously, and everyone is guilty of sin, but sin has been dealt with through God's son, Jesus Christ. We have to understand this morning in this text that Jesus magnifies that the standard for holiness is not in the opinions or thoughts of men, but in a holy standard of God. 
that man must recognize that sin separates us from God and sin is something God takes seriously and that sin must be dealt with, but God has dealt with sin through the person of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are still in your sin and you are still abiding under the wrath of Almighty God. But there's forgiveness of sin that is offered through God's Son, Jesus Christ. Sin has been dealt with. Sin has been defeated. As we go to a close this morning, and as we close with a song that reminds us of our Father God who loves us and has sent his Son to die for us, let me ask the question this morning, What is your standard for holiness and holy living? What is your standard? By whose authority are you living by? Has your sin been dealt with? Have you dealt with the sin that is in your life? If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to understand the only way to deal with sin is through relationship with God's son, Jesus. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, are you taking sin seriously? Are you dealing with sin seriously? This is the standard that Jesus is reminding them of. The standard is of a holy God and not of just sinful men. Might God's opinion and standard be ours as well? And might we faithfully serve him? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we thank you for these hard truths. Pray that we would be holy even as you are holy, Lord. That we would not let the opinions and standards of sinful men supersede or override what we know your standard is according to your word. I pray that everyone in this room would know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And I pray if anyone here does not know you, that that would change today. They'd be transformed through your spirit. We thank you for forgiveness through Jesus. In his name.